you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. That's kind of my key theme. I don't have a don't have a TV that I'm preaching off today. It's a little bit different message, but I think important for the place that we're at and as a nation, as a culture. We're in a series called What If? Uh, last week was What If I'm in the Right? It was all about forgiveness. And I encourage you to, if you, if you weren't here, to go online. That's one of the things that really gets us messed up is when we harbor bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, anger in our hearts messes everything up. God wants to free you of that. Today I want to talk about what if America turns back to God. Before I do, I just want to thank all that you all you folks that were involved in Caritas. We just our our men just left yesterday morning for two weeks. We've housed them, fed them, loved on them, encouraged them and, and I think you ought to just give yourself a hand for being a part of that. My my small group of men uh, fed them breakfast yesterday. One of the guys in our group, after, the, after our time together, said, man, they've done more for us than, than I did for them. And so that's just how it goes. When you go out to make a difference for God, he always turns around, makes it better for you. We're so thankful for John Dugan and the, and the team that he uses to really make a, make a difference for us. So we're grateful. Also, you saw, you saw Mark Mason. He's a missionary. He's connected to this char- church. Been a friend of mine for over 25 years and, and is doing some wonderful things. But I also wanted you to know, during the month of June, we gave $6,700 to local missions. That's just here in Chesterfield, Richmond, in RICO. We also gave $23,000 to to U.S. missions, which is the United States. We gave $19,000 to global missions, $3,000 to special projects, and $5,000 in benevolence. So in the month of June, we as a church gave $58,000 to missions and benevolence. So again, the more you give, the more we'll give. The more you sow, the more we'll sow. We just want to make a difference in the lives of the people that don't know Jesus and, and that are less fortunate than, than we are. Uh, again, this series, What If? And uh, unfortunately, what if today, what if America turned back to God? Unfortunately, I have to agree with our president that, that America is no longer a Christian nation. The decisions we're making, the directions we're headed, the decline in morals and values, we continue to kick God out of our country. And so in light of the the 5-4 Supreme Court decision just a few weeks ago, and and even Oklahoma, just the same, right around the same time, had to remove the Ten Commandments from their state capitol, and just all that's happening, and all the the dialogue, the reporting, the, the articles, I thought, man, I need to respond. As your pastor... I think you need to hear my heart concerning the matter and where we're headed maybe as a church. And I want to speak to the general church today, but to us specifically. If we're going to return to God, we've got to do a few things. So I sat down and write, wrote out kind of my response to what's going on. The first thing is we have to remember our beginnings. I encourage you to write that down. There's a blank there for you. Remember our beginnings. Yesterday, CNN came out with a report, a study, uh, a dialogue, that is American, was it founded as a Christian nation? And there, was, there were people on both sides, and I, and I give them credit for that, but the majority were no, that it definitely wasn't, that we did not, were not founded on Christian principles, that our, our forefathers were, were not God-fearing, God-honoring men. And, and right out the gate, I want to say that our forefathers did not have it all together they, on every issue. They were not perfect by no sense of stretch of the imagination, but but I will tell you this, the pilgrims in 1620 came to America to start a new country, and King James wrote, or he signed the New England Charter, and this was their whole purpose, to advance the enlargement of the Christian religion to the glory of God Almighty. 
And we have been a nation that's done that. 85% of all missions work has flowed out of the United States of America. Patrick Henry, the same guy that said, give me liberty or give me death, he said it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was not founded by religionists, but by Christians, not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. George Washington, our first president, said it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. The United States was like no other nation founded in history of the people, by the people, and for the people. Most nations established have, have not given the people that much liberty. It's, it, most governments don't believe that can, people can govern themselves. So there's a tight fist or there's a thumb of oppression or there's uh, way too much involvement. Our forefathers believed that because of the, the message of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel, that if people adhered to the commandments and the precepts spelled out in Scripture, that they could govern themselves. And so they said, we want to establish a nation that is of the people and by the people and for the people. We want the people to be able to govern themselves. In fact, James Madison, the father of the Constitution, wrote this. We have staked the whole future of American civilization, not on the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves and sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments. I don't know what history books those leaders or those, those reporters are reading at CNN and, and the debate that's going back and forth. But I, I wanted to just take them on a tour of our nation's capital. Because if you were to go to the Capitol today, because of the 83rd Congress, the Capitol building has a picture of George Washington. It's the focal point of the building. It's, it's in a stained glass window. And above his head are the words, uh, the new, Preserve me, O God, for in thee I put my trust. Inside the rotunda, there's a picture of the pilgrims about to embark to the new land. The captain of the ship obviously has the Word of God open in his lap with the words, the New Testament, according to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Above the Chief Justice in the Supreme Court building is the Ten Commandments. The Washington Monument, if you were to view that today, A, engraved on the metal cap at the top of the monument are words, praise be to God. Lining the walls of the stairwell are biblical phrases such as search the Scripture and holiness to the Lord. And train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. The Library of Congress, numerous scriptures throughout that building. What does the Lord require of me but to love mercy, to, uh, to act justly, and to walk humbly with my God? If you were to go to the Lincoln Memorial, beside Lincoln are inscribed these words, This nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, that government of the people and by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. At the end of that monument on the north wall, in his second inaugural address, it's recorded that he said, as it was said 3,000 years ago, so it shall be said. Again, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous and altogether righteous. If you were to go to the Jefferson Memorial, the same guy that current history has taken out of context to a letter to, to, that he wrote to a phrase of separation of church and state, he said, God who gave us, li who gave us life gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and his justice cannot sleep forever. It sounds like a strong warning from President Jefferson that to remove God from this country will, will destroy it. If the ACL and the liberal judges are going to completely remove our Christian heritage, 
they are going to have to to sandblast half of the buildings in Washington, D.C. They're going to have to take our currency away, which declares in God we trust. In is just, I mean, it might seem like a long time ago, but in 1892, the supreme law of our land declared this. Our laws and our institutions must be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is evident that America was not formed as a nation apart from God, but as a nation under God. And no, his, no country in the history of mankind has done more to liberate people economically and politically or spiritually than the United States of America. Our nation was birthed out of a desire for religious freedom. It was established on God's principles and God's word and was sustained and kept by those principles for the first 150 years of its, of its inception. But 67 years ago, a seed was sown to disrupt it and shook the very core and the foundation for which we were established. 1947, no precedent, no reason, the Supreme Court ruled. It is not the responsibility of the government to protect the church. It's the responsibility of the church to stay out of the government. Again, for no reason, no, no precedent, the, 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 the Supreme Court declared that, that for 150 years we've, we've protected the church, we've, government is connected with the church, it's been a part of the church, but now we don't want the church involved, neither do we want your God. Speaking to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is what Moses told his people. When the Lord God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then you will eat and you'll be satisfied. And I, this is a warning to the Israelites. It's also a warning to the church this morning. We have entered America. We have become fat. We have become soft. We have become prosperous. We have we've become one of the greatest ever, probably the greatest nations in the world. But he says, be careful that you do not forget God. Here's the warning. Here's, here's the plea. Man, when things are going well, don't turn your back on God, for he's the one that brought you out of Egypt. He's the one that brought you out of a land of slavery. We started as a nation whose motto was in God we trust, but we have come to a place in our history where Christians are labeled radicals and those opposed to sin and immorality are labeled as closed-minded and oppressive, and those who are pro-life and pro-family are labeled insensitive and misguided. If you were to compare Israel to America, you would find that they were, we were both the people that were chosen and called by God, a people set apart for His purpose, a people that were blessed and elevated above their enemies, a nation that was a beacon of freedom for the entire world. But we have forgotten God. In 1962, a Supreme Court ruled against a New York law that required students to recite a prayer each day. The prayer was, Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee, and we beg Thy blessing upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. 1962, can't say that anymore. 1963, they removed the Bible from public schools. 19, let me skip ahead, and, and I'm just going to hit different dates. Can't, do not have time to hit them all, but let me hit the important ones. 1973, they legalized abortion. 1977, the courts recognized atheism as a religion. 1980, Supreme Court overturned a Kentucky law that required schools to post the Ten Commandments. Here was their reasoning. If the Ten Commandments were to have any effect at all, it would be to induce students to read them. 
And if they read them, they would meditate on them. And if they meditate on them, they will respect and obey them. And that would be unconstitutional. We don't want our kids knowing that, that do not murder and do not steal and do not commit adultery and, and, and honor your parents because they, they might start doing that. And, and, and we can't force that upon our kids. The same government whose first president said it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible took those commandments out of our public settings. 1985, they reject Alabama law that allowed a moment of silence for prayer each day. 1986, they recognized secular humanism as a religion. They did not take religion out of society. They just exchanged it with a religion that said practice no religion. In 1992, they ruled against prayers organized by administrators of Rhode Island. And then, again, let's just skip ahead to the past few weeks, 2015. Five justices said same-sex marriage is constitutionally okay, overturning 50 million Americans' vote. And most importantly, the divine order that God established between one man and one woman. America has failed to heed the words and warnings and we have forgotten God. We're still a world leader, but now we're a world leader in violence and crime, teenage pregnancy, drug abuse and illiter illiteracy, divorce and abortion. Deuteronomy promises that a nation that will, that will adhere to God's commands and follow his principles and follow his heart will be guided and protected and blessed and honored and cherished and, and, and elevated above every other nation. But those that, nations that don't do that will experience the exact opposite. Today in America, 30 million Americans, according to Gallup, are out of work or severely underemployed. Since 2001, 42,000 American factories have shut down. Today, a record 46.6 million Americans are on government-funded food stamps. The federal debt today, we don't talk about it much anymore, but it continues to rise. It is $18-plus trillion dollars. We are in debt. We just witnessed as Greece declared bankruptcy and, and the, all the struggles that, that we're in. And again, we, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. I'm telling you, a nation that forgets God, that, that they sow to the wind, they reap the whirlwind. In this case, we have reaped a, a whirlwind of unprecedented violence, debt, immorality. You say, well, what's the big deal? I don't have to pay for that debt. Nobody's handing me the bill. What does it matter? Yet the responsibility to reimburse this debt hangs over all of us, threatening to bankrupt our nation. Someone will be required to pay it. Either our kids, our grandkids, or worse yet, a foreign power may find itself in a position to claim ownership of the country that we love. And we may be in danger of losing the very lifetime freedoms which we have become accustomed to. Listen to what the pundits are saying. Not the preachers. I'm talking about... The, the commentators and the columnists and the social scientists on both sides. Keith Oberman is a liberal political commentator. He told MSNBC News that we are witnessing the beginning of the end of America. Glenn Beck, a conservative political commentator, told his radio audience that this is the end of America as we know it. Charles Krauthammer, a Pulitzer Prize winner, he said it's midnight in America. Paul Krugerman, a liberal New York Times columnist, believes that the American dream is not totally dead, but it's dying pretty fast. If you were to go to New York best-selling books the last few years, you would find these titles, The Rise and Fall of the American Empire. 
The End of America, A Letter of Warning to a Young Patriot. Nemesis, The Last Days of American Republic, The Post-American World. Suicide, here's a book, Suicide of a Superpower. Will America Survive to 2025? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Aren't you encouraged and edified and built up? Listen, I'm not a pessimist, I'm an optimist. I'm not a doomsday preacher, I'm an encourager. And I don't like talking about this stuff, but when you forget God, when you remove biblical truth from a culture and replace it with humanism, you sow to the wind and you reap the whirlwind. Since 1960, our culture has here 467% increase in violent crime. 463 since 1960 that's when we started removing god from that is it just happenstance did it just happened that are are the words of god's book becoming true and becoming a reality there has been a 463 percent increase in the number of state and federal prisons a 461 percent increase in in out of wedlock births a 200 percent increase in children living in single parent homes more than double the suicide rate amongst teenagers. 150% increase of the number of Americans living on welfare. Listen to the prophetic words of John Winthrop, one of our earliest leaders and settlers. In 1630, he set sail for America. And he exhorted, he challenged those on this ship. He said, for we must consider that, that we shall be a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. So that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story, a byword through the world. You, you, you read John Withram's words, you'll, you'll realize that, that those early colonists were embarking on a great task. They were going with the intention of building a society that radiates and reflects and represents Jesus Christ. To those early settlers, America was not just another country, another, some new nation, a state amongst states. It had a divine destiny. It had a redemptive purpose. America was going to be a city, a shining city on a hill, committed to, to, to making that come true, willing to give their lives for all the generations that would follow. Here's Winthrop's words. Again, prophetically, he says, If our hearts shall turn away so that we will not obey, but shall be seduced and worship other gods, our pleasures and our prophets, and serve them. It is propounded us unto us this day. We shall surely perish out of the good land, whether we pass over this vast sea to possess it. Therefore, let us choose life, that we and our seed may live by obeying his voice and cleaving to him. For he is our life and our prosperity. We have done the very thing that our forefathers warned us against, and we are living with the results. Pastor, you're painting a bleak, a bleak picture. I am. Our federal debt is increasing. Our marriage and families are deteriorating. The tide of cultural pollution is rising, and our education system is collapsing. Yet I'm still hopeful because nothing is too difficult for God. There's no disease he cannot heal. There's no sin he cannot forgive. There's no condition he cannot change. There's no church he cannot revive. There is no nation he cannot re uh, restore. So what do we do? We reject fear. We, we, we can't. God's not given us the spirit of fear. We, we cannot become fearful in our times, regardless of 
of what's happening or what's saying, regardless of where we're headed, regardless of what it looks like. The Bible says no weapon formed against us shall prosper. God says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That he's causing all things for our good because we love God and are called according to his purpose. That no weapon formed against us. We must, we must refuse to be fearful. And if there's ever a day in the life of our nation where the church needs to be emboldened and empowered, it's today. Where the church needs to come alive to the promises and the principles of God's word and start living and acting and being the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to reject fear. Here's the second or third thing. We have got to realign ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Lordship means ultimate authority. These, these days of one foot in and one foot out, they're gone. The, this idea that I can pick and choose from the word of God and then I can be culturally correct and politically right and, and I can still have a heart for God, they're gone. God has declared his word. This is the way, walk ye in it. We need to be people that regardless of, of culture, regardless of temptation, regardless of... Uh, God knows better than us. God, His ways are higher than our ways. We have to have a commitment to His Lordship and His leadership. We must honor Him and serve Him in every area and by every means. George Barna wrote a book. George Barna is kind of the poster of Christianity. It's called Future Cast. I, I don't know where he got his numbers, but he... He has said that 85% of America identify themselves as Christians. 84% of America consider the Bible a holy or sacred book. And the average American has four Bibles in their household. More than 8 out of 10 Americans say they're Christians and consider the Bible a holy book. Yet over the last few decades, our country has experienced moral, moral and spiritual breakdown at unprecedented proportions. We've never seen such a wholesale abandonment of God and his word. How is it possible that 85% of a nation's people say they fear and honor God, yet the slide continues? I, I'll tell you why, because there's a serious disconnect between who Americans say they are, what they say they believe, and how they're living. You know what Jesus said? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you label yourself a Christian and say you honor the word of God when you disobey it, when you don't, when you don't align yourself under it? We, we have got to realign ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ, his way. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah God, and there is no God beside him. His ways are right. His righteous judgments endure forever. And, and those who align themselves under him will be blessed and experience his favor and his grace. 3%, 3% of, of the population identifies themselves as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. 3%. Yet they have become very vocal and well-organized and well-funded and highly motivated. They have used the courts and the media and the political system, the entertainment world, and even the education to mainstream their lifestyle choices, and they have been extremely successful at advancing their agenda. And can I just say, they're not the enemy. Their message, their ideology, their system is the enemy, but they are not the enemy. 
They are the people that God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. And, it, you know, all over social media, I said, I, I've been seeing love wins and, and uh, I've been seeing all kind of stuff. I'm not going to say that. But love wins. You know, love is going to win. For God so loved the world. His love is going to win. 3%. 3% identify themselves. I, I'm just wondering, what if, what if 10% of the church, what if 30% of the church, what, are the, what if 40, 50, 60% of the church really sold out, sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ? What if we started living out our convictions? What if, what if we started being vocal? I don't, I don't mean mean-spirited and irritating and, and, and just and obnoxious. I mean just being vocal, knew what we stood for, knew what we believed in, and began to declare it, weren't weakened by, and, and wouldn't back down to other voices and other systems and other ideologies, but really, really stand on the Word of God. I wonder if the church, if, if we started really uh, taking and, and, and making our marriages better, where we really started investing in them, and loving one another as Christ loved the church and, and encouraging one another. And I, what, what would happen if 50% of the church said marriage is going to be what God intended it to be? And I'm going to live in such a way where it becomes the desire of America, regardless of their belief system or value system, their love of God or their lack of God. They just see a commitment that, that they want, that they desire. That we, get, we get so mad. Let me just stay on my notes. We're, we just need, we, we, what if, what if the church started living such good lives among the pagans that they saw our good deeds and that glorified their fa- our father on the day he visited us? What if our words backed with our lives and our lives backed our words? We must realign under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We must recommit to the study of God's word. We got to know what we believe. I'm encouraging you, spend time in God's Word personally. Whatever that looks like for you, it ought to be a daily discipline. You ought to, you ought to be listening to the Word, reading the Word, studying the Word, listen, learning the Word, maybe listening to somebody else teach the Word, preach the Word. You've got to saturate your heart and your mind with God's Word. Our, our small groups, leaders, I'm encouraging you, just don't let it be about fun and food. Don't let it have fun and eat some food. But get into God's Word. And I don't mean go so deep nobody understands you. You're, you we're, not, we're not trying to raise Greek theologian scholars. We're trying to raise people that know what God's Word says and are able to apply it to their everyday life. Find a study. Get in a book. Do something, small groups, that, that's really challenging you in God's Word. And then we've got to teach our kids God's Word. This generation is the most illiterate biblically that there's ever been. And the greater our illiteracy, the greater our departure from God and His ways. We're not teaching our kids God's Word. And it's not the government's responsibility. They don't, they're, they're, that's the last thing they want to teach us. It's our responsibility. And it's not even enough for the church. Just don't pray. And I love our kids' church, but one hour a week's not enough. This is what I'm seeing. We are not teaching our kids God's Word. So when they go to these universities, they're bombarded by all these messages and all these and all these things, and, and they're unable, they're easily swayed, and, and they fall out. Maybe this is true, maybe this isn't true, because they don't, have a, they don't have the Word of God hidden in their heart that they might not sin against Him. We have got to teach. And here, here's, here's the problem in America, we're just so stinking busy. And we don't see that as unspiritual. We don't see that as sin. 
And maybe it's not. I don't know. And, and I'm, not, I'm not pointing fingers because I'm just as guilty. But we got our kids involved in every activity. They've got to be under the best coaching. And they've got to have every privilege and every right and every opportunity. And we are, we are, we are so busy that as families, we don't have time any longer to sit down and open up God's Word. We don't have time to teach our kids the, the things that we've been taught over the years. He, here's, what, here's what Massachusetts is teaching its kids in the public school system. Remember, Massachusetts is the, is the state that first legalized homosexual marriage. Let me just read a few. In one elementary school, a transsexual was invited into a first grade class to give details of his operation. In another elementary school, children were assigned to play gays in a school skit. Two girls were to hold hands and pretend to be lesbians. One boy's line was, it's natural to be attracted to the same sex. A ninth grade high school health textbook teaches, testing your ability to function sexually and give pleasure to another person may be less threatening in the early teens with people of your own sex. You may come to the conclusion that growing up means rejecting the values of your parents. A Lexington, Massachusetts school treated their second graders to a book entitled King and King, a colorful 29-page children's book in which a prince searches for a wife only in the end to choose another prince. The story ends with two princesses marrying and living happily ever after. On the last prince, on the last page, the princes, now kings, even share a kiss. One family, David and Tanya Parker, were enraged that their kids were having to listen and, and be a part of that. They went to the school to complain, and the principal told them, same-sex marriage is now the law, so there is no need for advance notice or for parental consent. When David, the father, objected, the police were called, they arrested him and threw him in jail. Here's the strategy. I'm not, I'm not talking about Iran, Iraq. I'm talking about America. I'm talking about Massachusetts. Here's the strategy. It's the first fact of civilization. Whoever captures the kids owns the future. And we're sacrificing our kids on the altar of athletics and academics. And we're not teaching them God's word. I love you. You hear me? This is in a spirit of love. But a desperate church, a desperate nation, calls for desperate people. People do whatever it wills, has to do to align itself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We've got to rediscover the power of praying and fasting. Here's the promise. If my people, not the government, not just pastors, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I'm so concerned about our nation, but I'm more concerned about the church. Because we've become so casual and so complacent. And I'm calling us back to a people that cry out to God and humble ourselves before him. America needs revival. America needs revival, and it's, it's going to come through the church. And it's happened before. There's, there's been...
there's been history in, in the life of our nation where it was immoral and ungodly and headed the wrong direction. But the body of Christ cried out to God. The first great awakening saw a great move of God where one-fifth of the population became believers. The second great awakening, the moral climate was a mess similar to today. Alcoholism was even higher than it is today. They, some experts say four or five times higher than it is today. And the church started crying out to God and started believing God for a revival. And God responded by raising up men and women to preach the gospel. And, and, and people got, it set up, it just, just good things began to happen. I mean, look at the prayer revival of the 1850s with Charles Finney. In one year, one million people gave their lives to Christ. The Jesus movement in the early 60s, uh, late 60s and early 70s, where thousands of young people came out of the drug yeah, sexual environment and surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That it, it, desperate times means the church has got to get desperate. Last week, decision will impact America culturally and the church specifically. From, from losing our tax-exempt status to demanding that we obey the laws of man rather than the laws of God. But, I, but I'm encouraged and I'm hopeful that, we're, that the situation is going to awaken a sleeping giant. Church history proves that the church thrives under persecution and government imposition. The greater the decline, the greater the opportunity. I, I'm believing that, that God is going to help us to share His truth in love, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, to be ministers of reconciliation and healing, to live such good lives among the pagans that they see our good works. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will anoint us that we could share the good news with the poor. Not just those who are broke, but those who are without God and without hope. That God will anoint us to proclaim freedom to the prisoner. Not just those that are bound in, in our penitentiaries, but those that are bound by the power of sin and have been duped by the enemy that that's the natural way to live. That those are in the bondage of alcoholism and drug addiction and pornography that will anoint the church that will experience the power to set them free in the name of Jesus, that will give recovery of sight to the blind. You know, the Bible says the God of this age has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. May God help us to, to, to open their eyes so that they can experience the freedom found in Christ to release the oppressed and to proclaim, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We must remember our beginnings. We were a nation, not apart from God, but birthed under a devotion for God. Reject fear. Realign under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Recommit to the study of God's Word. And rediscover the power of praying and fasting. This doesn't have to be the death of our nation. It can be a rebirth of a country that loves and committed to the purpose and the plan of Almighty God. Amen, everybody? Amen. Amen. No moving around. We still got 15 minutes left. No moving around. Maybe we longer than that. I don't know. No moving around. No up and down. We just stay steady for a minute. I do ask that you'll stand to your feet. I've asked Doug Broman to come and pray over our nation. And as he's coming, I want us to just, I just want to open us up in prayer. Blake, if you'll get, just play that song, I believe, will you? I want to close with that, maybe. Lord, I thank you for your word today. And and God, we are a nation that's drifting. I'm going to let Doug pray for that. I just pray right now in Jesus' name that our hearts would be stirred. Lord, that, that we 
that we will be encouraged today that, God, you're not done with us yet. You have a purpose and a plan. Lord, may we begin to search our own heart. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you have not realigned under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You're trying to play both ways. You've you're got one, one foot in, one foot out. Man, stop it. I'm just imploring you. I'm encouraging you. Man, sell out. Go after God with everything. Quit settling for second best. Quit trying to serve God and serve man. Quit trying to please yourself and please your creator. Get on board with him. Love him. Serve him. Honor him. Obey him. Regardless of what everybody else is doing or saying, Jesus, you're my Lord. Declare us for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Man, recommit to a study of God's word. Do it right now in your heart. Lord, I want to be a student. I know I've got to carve out time, but help me. Don't let this leave me. Holy Spirit, continue to convict me and draw me. Don't let me lay my head a... Don't let me fall asleep at night until I've spent time in your word, meditating and allow it to soak into my spirit and into my heart. Lord, forgive us for not teaching our kids your word. We've taught them everything else. We've tried to give them the best, but we've left out the very best. God, forgive us and help us in that area. May we rediscover the power of praying and fasting. Lord, I pray that, that people all over this place will begin to get con convicted that maybe they need to set a meal aside a week or a day a week or three days at the first of the month or a period of time to just really go after God on the behalf of this nation and our families. Oh, God, I pray we wouldn't leave this building unchanged, but we would leave with a greater conviction and a greater desire to be a part of what you're doing in the earth and in this nation, God.